my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In today's episode, we've got a train wreck coming with bad debts. There are people who are in better financial situations than they were before, others that are really suffering. And I want to talk to you about how to handle that in today's episode. So here's the deal. There are new rules going into effect in just a few months that allow uh, debt collectors to harass you unlimited times per day. Believe it or not, there used to be strict limits, but under the prior administrator of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, who thought the only people that she was there to protect were debt collectors, a new rule will allow debt collectors to text you thousands of times a day, DM you on Facebook or any other social media site, and constantly barrage you on email. No limit at all. The whole idea is to try to break you down, make your life miserable so that you will do whatever you have to to come up with money. And that is such a gross violation of the concept and law of the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. And hopefully, this will not end up taking effect in a few months, that the courts will stop it, or that the new director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau will withdraw this. But I, when I talked about this originally, I was just in shock that collectors were going to be able to barrage and batter and harass you unlimited numbers of times. But one thing that has not been said about this is you still have the ability that people don't know about and don't use to tell a collector that they're not allowed to contact you at all, whether it's by phone call, text, email, social media, whatever. And once you've properly notified them in writing, they're not allowed to do anything other than sue you against a debt, which they can certainly do if you're within statute of limitations. So know that this could get really bad, ugly, in a hurry. And it is ridiculous. But know that you have certain rights. A debt collector is not allowed to threaten to kill you or physically harm you or not just threaten, actually do that. We've had so many reports from people where debt collectors have threatened harm. I want to make it clear that the overwhelming number of people in the debt collection industry do not behave that way and would never threaten you with physical harm. We have had quite a few cases where people have been threatened that they're going to be jailed if they don't pay a debt. And no, that's not the way it plays. It's not the way it works. But remember this ironclad right. You have the right to tell them not to contact you further. And once you do, then it doesn't mean your credit's not ruined. It doesn't mean they can't sue you. But here's another thing. 
a lot of debt collection efforts are on debts that you don't actually owe. They have bad information. They have incomplete information. A debt may have been sold again and again. And never allow yourself to ever, ever be intimidated by a collector to pay a debt that's not yours or you don't owe. Be very wary of collectors trying to refresh the date on a debt. After a certain number of years that varies by states, but most often is three to four years, a collector can no longer sue you against a debt. At seven years, a debt falls off your credit report. A collector may say, well, just in good faith, will you pay a dollar against this debt? And that's all about re-aging the debt so that they then have the right to sue you against the debt that they had lost the right to sue because of the debt being old. Be very, very cautious ever, ever paying a collection agency on an old, old debt because the purpose of that may be to try to get you into their, their sites again to be able to use the courts to force payment. Here's another thing. If you have a collection on your credit because your finances had a problem, your finances are healthy now, I want you to pay that debt. If you got the money, pay the debt. You owed the money, right? But never, 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 not ever pay a collector a penny on a debt till you have in writing that payment of whatever amount of money constitutes payment in full. Unless and until you have that in writing, they got no money at all. If you're paying a collector that you have this sense they're not on the up and up, only pay them by money order so they have no information about your checking account or credit card or debit card number or anything like that because sleazy collectors, once they have that payment information, may take money again and again and again. And another thing you should know is half of all collection items are medical. Many times because of the haphazard nature of how medical billing operates in conjunction with whatever insurance you have and all the rest, and you may not have gotten a bill for something. In those cases, in many cases, you are given six months to make a payment on delinquent medical debt and have it not ever reported on your credit report. It's when you move past that half year that it becomes messier. But know your rights, be careful, and if you do have a collector harassing you, particularly when the new social media, email, and texting rules come into effect, if they actually do take full force, know your ultimate right is you can shut down that collector's contact of you cold. It's time for your questions. And Krista, what you got from Holly? Holly says, is it better to use your credit card to pay off an old medical bill and raise your debt ratio or let it go against your credit until it's paid? Well, that's a fascinating question because if you pay it off with a credit card and you're not in a position to pay the credit card bill, 
you'll be paying very high interest on that credit card. The medical bill likely has no interest accruing, so you're potentially harming yourself by paying it that way. The advantage of it is that a collection item that is open will no longer be open, and the newer FICO scoring models do not count medical bills against you in most cases once the balance is at zero, even if it was reported originally as a delinquent debt. Medical bills are often treated in the scoring models different than all other debts once the account balance has been served, taken care of. And then this is from Sydney in Kansas. She says, my stepfather recently died. He committed spousal identity theft and also has credit cards in his name only. How do we handle this? Wow, that's a lot for you to deal with, Cindy. I'm, I'm really sorry. So the, the debts that he had himself only become debts of his widow in the event that Kansas is a community property state. Community property means that the debt of one is the debt of both in a marriage. And there are a very small number of states that are community property. Kansas is not a community property state based on what we see. So the credit cards that he had, if he had no assets, those debts, the responsibility for them, doesn't go to, your, uh, to his spouse, doesn't go to any of you, and the credit card company has to wipe them out. In the case of spousal identity theft, there's an added burden for his widow, and that is she has got to go to the police and file police reports on the spousal identity theft. And that is a necessary step to be relieved of responsibility on her part for the spousal identity theft. Because otherwise, unchallenged, she is legally considered to be the responsible party. The police report will be very important to dealing with this particular situation. And I'm sorry, that is a lot to deal with. Next, I got a question for you. Are you falling into a trap that I call stream creep? What's stream creep? I'll fill you in. It's when your wallet goes from spending a little bit of money to a full river flow. So as we've transitioned more and more of us by the tens of millions from having a traditional pay TV package from the cable company or from DirecTV or Dish Network, we did it originally because it's more versatile and the programming is so much cheaper. But now I was, I was laughing when I was reading a report in Bloomberg that people keep adding streaming services to the point where they can end up with a monthly bill that is larger than what they were paying to the cable monster or to DirecTV or Dish Network. You, we are conspiring against ourselves because we think, oh, well, this one's only $6 a month. This one's $8 a month. This one's $12 a month. Before you finish, you may be topping $100 a month. Now, the irony of this, when you sign up for the various streaming services, is that a lot of them you sign up for, you may not ever watch. So 
Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look through your bills, whether you're billing these services to a bank statement, a debit card, a credit card, whatever it is, I want you to look and see the streams you've signed up for. There are probably going to be one or two you don't even remember you signed up for. If nobody's watching them, get rid of them. You're not under any long-term commitment or contract. The other thing is that there are a lot of streaming services that offer cheaper versions or free versions if you'll put up with ads. If money's tight in your life, watch the ads and reduce that cost to zero or nearly zero for the streaming service. And for your main streaming that you do of live channels, look at the cheaper choices that we've got on our streaming guide at Clark.com. And look what's happened over time. The two bigs, YouTube TV and Hulu Live, have steadily pushed up the price of their streaming services. They're both right around 65 a month. Now think about it. YouTube TV started out at 35. Yeah, Hulu Live, I think, started at 40 originally. There are cheaper alternatives. Sling is cheaper. If you look at Sling TV, is a cheaper thing to do. Philo is the cheapest of all of them. Philo is a really, what they call a skinny bundle, bundle of streaming. And the way that things like Sling TV and Philo get cheaper is by limiting access to sports. Although, particularly with Sling TV, you can go with a package that gets you sports, and it's all a matter of choice. You give up these channels to get those, and blah, blah, blah. But if you're with the two most popular, you're also burning a hole in your wallet, and I don't want you to do it. I am looking right now at our comparison guide to the live streaming plans, and so many companies have left that business in the last year, it's crazy. I mean, we used to have a long, long, long list of live TV streaming plans. Now we have, I think, six on our guide because most of them have folded. But we've got for you how to compare and determine which is best for you. But I'll cut straight to the chase. Go to Philo first. See if Philo has enough content of live TV that you're happy and go with it. It's P-H-I-L-O. You know, I talk about it all the time. Well, it's, so I it's, forget a word, it's one of those, it. yeah. Thank you. Philo, Philo, whatever. P-H-I-L-O. So check out our streaming guide, the comparison of them. And if you really are cheap, look at all the programming now that's available for you that is free of monthly fee. Like if you're on Roku, it's fascinating how many streaming services are now available at no monthly cost at all. And that's my kind of price. Krista? Ron in Nebraska says, what's your opinion of buying a car through Vroom? Vroom is a much smaller competitor of Carvana. Same kind of idea a customer-friendly way to buy used vehicles. I hear almost nothing about them, and I only hear about these buying services when people have a problem buying a used car. So that's a good thing. 
Um, they are so buried in the shadow of Carvana, but if you find a deal on Vroom, they have very customer-friendly policies. I think that's great. I do think, though, whether you buy at Carvana, CarMax, or Vroom, that you should have the vehicle that you buy checked out by a mechanic of your choosing during the period of time you have the right to return the vehicle for a full refund, no questions asked. Okay, Ian in Massachusetts says, I want to buy a term life insurance plan, but I'm having trouble doing so because of my BMI and the fact that I have sleep apnea. Is there anything I can do to get around this? Secondly, I want to open a long-term disability insurance account. These two reasons are getting in the way there as well. Any advice for me going forward? Uh, Wonderful question. So the stuff that we have about how to get insurance without a medical exam and all that, none of that's going to work for you. Going with an online quotation service generally is not going to work for you. Let's deal with the uh, level term life insurance. You're going to need an insurance, uh, an experienced insurance agent to help you with placement of that level term insurance because a lot of insurers with a higher BMI are not going to be interested in rating you for a policy. They're just going to turn you down. And that's where you need an insurance agent who will take the time to know who is quoting for people with uh, more, uh, more issues involved in underwriting and both the sleep apnea, which, by the way, may be a result of the higher BMI, that those two factors could be making it hard for you to use any of the online quotation services. The problem you have is that an agent who you go to to sell you a level term policy may not be interested in selling you one because the commissions are so low. What I recommend in a case like that is you offer to pay a fee for his or her help in finding a placement for that insurance. In the case of disability insurance, you also have the risk because of the higher BMI and the um, sleep apnea as well in getting companies that will underwrite you for disability. But regardless of disability insurance, you need human interaction. You need a disability insurance broker, the individual who helps you with the life insurance may in fact be able to give you a referral to a disability insurance broker. And if I've dead-ended you with my suggestions, I want to hear back from you and let's see if I come up with another strategy for you. Brian in West Virginia says, I want to buy a house soon, but I don't want to miss out on the low interest rates. Currently, I'm working on saving my 20% down payment. I own a house that needs a ton of work and it would not pass any inspections. The value of the house I own is between 40 and 50,000. What do I do with it? Can I sell it as is? How do I unload this house without sinking money into it? So Brian, I don't know the strength of the housing market where you are in West Virginia. If the market is strong and you don't want to do the work, there are lots of investors that will buy the home from you Um, who buy it at a price where they think they can do work to it and either flip it or turn it into a rental property. It is a popular part of the investor market now where people buy homes from people who don't want to do the work or don't have the funds to do the work. 
So you're not going to get top dollar for that house doing so. But it would, uh, if you own the house free and clear, which I don't know if you do that, it would then give you the money you need for the down payment on the home you wish to replace it with. Uh, as a general rule, if the market where you live is strong enough, it's better to do a lot of the work yourself. Or I mean, if you're not capable, I mean hiring somebody to do it and then sell the home than to sell it in as-is condition by your description where it wouldn't even pass any inspections. Doing the work will tend to get you more money, but you have the cost and you have the hassle involved with that. And I want to thank you for being a part of Team Clark. If you enjoy our podcast, I hope you'll subscribe. Also review us and share us with your friends.